Didn't will say be that. cured in five to ten years. After all, cancer is probably a thousand diseases, yeah. but we will have cured some that we can't cure now in the next five to ten how many years. Have we, how many can we cure now? You know, we do really, really well uh, with childhood leukemia. Right. That's we the major. That's the Hodgkin's disease. We cure that yeah. almost all the time. Yeah. We increasingly uh, do well with melanoma, even right. after it has spread. Uh, we, Of course, the death rate from cancer is actually dropping every year mm. by about 1%. So we're across the board saving more lives from cancer. But they're hard won, those battles. Yeah. Uh, to see that 1% per year actually drop even further is going to take all of the technologies that we're talking about here and bring them to bear on this with every bit of energy and determination that our nation and the world can mount. So what do you do at the Institutes of Health? Well, we are the largest supporter of biomedical research in the world. The National Institutes of Health, thanks to the taxpayers, uh, has a budget of about $30 billion a year. It goes out there to all of the finest institutions, medical centers, universities, small businesses in this country and some outside the country that are doing this cutting-edge research. So when you read about a breakthrough in cancer, immunotherapy, so, like a Jim Allison, it's because NIH So Francis Collins it. decides how we spend $30 billion <laughs> in terms of furthering medical research. Not all by myself. Okay, no. but I mean, you know, you're the... Buck stops with you. Well, correct. Much of what happens is people send us investigators send us their best ideas. We don't tell them Saying what those should need, be. This is my best idea. Say, here's we my need... grant. Here's what I could do if you give me money for five years. Oh, yeah. We put that through the peer review process, the toughest one in the in the world, and their peers look at their proposal and try to decide whether they think it's going to work or not. And then they assign it a priority score. And if it's in the good range, then they get funded. And we say, go to it and let's see what you can do in a period of four or five years, which is the usual length of a grant. Now, that's, I think, the best system in the world. Right now, i got to tell you, Charlie, it is a system under great stress. Right. Uh, and the chance that that grant that that person sent in is actually going to get funded is down to about one in six, uh, whereas it used to be one in three. So you see three. six good projects, and you're going to choose one of them. Yeah. And I know so I'm you, not just uh, throwing away things that don't matter. I think probably— You're throwing away because we don't have, we're not funding it, we things that could save lives. Is what you're saying. I'm afraid I am saying that. You know, NIH has lost over the last 12 years 25% of its purchasing power for research by flat budgets that have been eroded by inflation, complicated by the sequester, which took away a billion and a half dollars on one day in March 2013. And we've not recovered from that. So our difficulty in this nation dealing with our fiscal situation has had a major consequence for medical research. And it has slowed us down from things that we could have been doing by now. We would be further along with cancer research than we are right now had it not been for this difficult period we've been going through. So who funds it if you don't? Well, there are lots of other foundations that are very invested in this, and thank goodness for them, universities. And, of course, let's be clear, we're in an ecosystem with the private sector, and they spend twice as much in R&D as NIH does, getting those great ideas all the way out the door to an FDA-approved therapeutic. Mm -hmm. And we need them, and they need us. But they're not actually in a position now to ramp up their funding either. Tell me about the brain initiative. I'd love to. <laughs> so would I. <laughs> so the brain, well, gosh. This three pounds uh, between our ears here, yeah. uh, it made up of some 86 billion neurons, right. each of which has maybe 1,000 connections to other neurons. How many neurons? 86 billion. So that would be 86 trillion connections. Right. So the most complicated structure in the known universe. Yeah. And we are audacious enough to say it's time to figure out how it works, not just in a sort of general idea, but in a detailed idea. How do those circuits in the brain do what they do? 
how is it that I'm looking at you? My brain is processing your image, and right. I know you're Charlie. Right. And how is it that you're listening to my words, and hopefully they're making sense yes. because you're processing them? And how is it that you're retrieving memories as we're talking about right. other right. things right. you've right. heard about? We don't know how that works. Or the things you've told me or whatever. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't know how that works. And boy, do we need to know how that works if we're really going to get to the bottom of Alzheimer's disease or autism or epilepsy or traumatic brain injury or, or schizophrenia or ALS. All of these incredibly important, frustrating neurological conditions. Our problem is we are making progress on those, but not at the level we could if we really understood the basic foundations of how the brain works. And we can do things pretty well when you look at the whole brain. We have these amazing scans now, whether they're MRIs or PET scans, uh, and we can look at individual neurons and say, what's that cell going to do if I tweak it with this neurotransmitter? But there's this huge space in between the single cell and the whole brain that we don't have much.